The Athletic. Jordan, you're a great professional. Well, tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Carol. And welcome along. So, finally, Liverpool have won a league game at home in 2021, and they've scored from open play. Plenty of reasons uh, to celebrate. It wasn't straightforward. But it is a step forward. We're going to talk about that with uh, James Pierce. I'm Steve Hothersall. It's Red Agenda. And we're going to pick through some of your questions. Loads have been sent in. It's uh, a special Red, Red Agenda because we're going to do two this week. There will be one after the Real Madrid game. This, of course, following the Aston Villa win. Uh, but we thought it was important to answer many of the questions that were out there. Now, you can subscribe to The Athletic UK right now for a special price of just £1 a week for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You get great analysis, in-depth features from the best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all the podcasts. Go to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. Take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. Let's have a chat with, uh, with James Pearson. James, we've been waiting so long for this home win. Uh, and it, it was left late, wasn't it? But a feeling of massive relief all around the club and the fan base. Yeah, huge. Yeah, I think you only had to see the the eruption on the on the Liverpool bench when uh, when that stunning strike from Trent Alexander-Arnold hit the back of the net to, to see what it meant to everyone because um, it has been a ridiculously barren streak at Anfield. Didn't you think that you know, they hadn't won since that visit at Tottenham in, in mid-December and what was it, over 12 hours of football since they'd even scored at, at home uh, from open play. And I'm sure a lot of Liverpool fans were watching that thinking, we've seen this <laughs> time and time again and we almost fear how this is going to end because Liverpool were so wasteful in that first half, then shot themselves in the foot, then then got themselves back into it. But then seemed to lose their way again, and you know it's, they could, could easily have lost that game. They could easily, I think, have obviously their heads could have dropped on the back of what for me was an utterly ridiculous VAR decision. But to their immense credit, they did keep on plugging away and and found a way to win. And I think I think James Milner summed it up perfectly afterwards in terms of he said, you know, sometimes a win like that can actually do a lot more for you than steamrolling a team four or five nil because. Um, yeah, that was a huge, huge goal in the context of Liverpool's season. I think more than anything, you've just got to praise the mentality, as you mentioned there, because it wasn't perfect by any means, was it? And, and we'll no. perhaps touch on Real Madrid a little bit later. But we'll know, we know they're going to have to step up a level for that. Um, there was plenty of things you, you could have possibly criticised. You talked there about being wasteful with opportunities. But the mentality of playing right to the end, that's the big positive to take from it. Yeah, 100%. And it feels like that's something that Liverpool have lost this season because, you know, that was, you know, Klopp talked about them as being mentality monsters. And, you know, how many times have we done podcasts talking about how this team just find a way? You know, they just never give up and they grind out so many wins when not at their best, which was, you know, a, a real theme of the title winning season and, and the season before that when they ran City so close. Yet, you know, I think for a whole host of factors, 
you know, belief has taken an absolute batter in this season with all the injury setbacks and all the adversity they've been faced with. And certainly at home in recent months, there's been far too many times when you just thought Liverpool could could be playing here for another six or seven hours and they wouldn't score because it was it they just seemed to have have lost that belief. But um that was massive on the weekend, the fact that the fact that that was almost like the old Liverpool, you know, finding a way to win just at the point where you thought it was going to be another big disappointment. Right. So many great questions being sent in from listeners to the Red Agenda. We'll get to them in just a moment. We just need to mention that the fullbacks, first of all, because you've written about both Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold and their involvement after the win at the weekend. You know, they were part of the story. We'll start with Trent. And obviously there is that spotlight on him anyway. But the fact that Gareth Southgate was there watching you sort of felt like there was a weight that had been lifted off his shoulder. Yeah, definitely. I think you 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 could see what that goal meant to Trent because he's you know he's had so much unfair scrutiny and criticism in in my opinion in recent weeks. I think it was bizarre that Southgate axed him from the England squad when you know I agree with Klopp's assessment that in recent months Trent has been one of Liverpool's best players and you know certainly when you look at the results against Leipzig and you know the wins at Wolves and Arsenal and and again at the weekend you know he was integral to those victories and yes yeah we all saw he made a you know a sloppy mistake that that led to a goal for Real Madrid last week but I just don't understand this narrative that he's amazing going forward and absolute liability defensively I just think it's just wrong there's been so many so many games you know real high stakes games when he's been absolutely brilliant defensively. You know, you think back to a few years back when he had Leroy Sane in his pocket for for both legs of a of a Champions League knockout tie. And he's, you know, he's you know, he's gone toe-to-toe with, you know, Ronaldo, Neymar, you know, Mbappe, you know, you you name it really. And, you know, he's and and hasn't been embarrassed. So um yeah, I think that that was big for Trent on on the weekend after the couple of weeks he's had. And I, th- I think just think the whole game underlined just how reliant Liverpool are on Robertson and Alexander-Arnold because, again, the midfield didn't really produce much spark or guile or creativity and and all the kind of incision and, and quality seemed to come from the two fullbacks. And, you know, of course, Robertson was was key to the equaliser with you know, a really good strike that, that forced a save for Martinez that Salah nodded in and then Trent taking centre stage late on. And, um, yeah, it's, it's ironic, really, because... You know, at the start of the season, Klopp was talking about how he had to lessen the burden on them because he, you know, he said that you know they can't keep on playing fifty odd games a season because they're going to get burnt out. But because of the circumstances of this season, you know, that just hasn't been possible. You know, Simicus was supposed to be able to give Robertson a breather at times, but he's had injuries. I think he's struggled to adapt to what Klopp has wanted from him as well. And you know, ridiculous to think we're at this stage of the season and Simicus has played five minutes of Premier League football. And then similarly on the other flank, you know, I think obviously Nico Williams has featured more than Simicus, um, mainly because Trent obviously had a month out with a with a calf injury from November to December. But yeah, you know, he, he, Nico Williams is a young player that, you know, young players always have peaks and troughs and he's had his own troubles at, at times this season. So um, as much as their quality, I think you have to really admire their stamina and endurance of, of Trent and Robertson because... Um, they just, they just keep going and going, don't they? And I think we know that if Liverpool are going to have any hope against Real Madrid in terms of turning around that deficit, then those two are going to be absolutely massive on the on the outcome. Yeah, incredible dynamism. I mean, look, their stats are nowhere near what they were last season. 
they were always going to be impacted by the the loss of Virgil Van Dijk and, and Joe Gomez. Yeah, and because I, I, I and I think that's why that they can't just be viewed in isolation, can they? I think I think Trent what has got I think he's got what four or five assists compared to thirteen in the Premier League last season. Similar numbers for Robertson, uh, having got twelve last season. So yeah, they're not they're, they're not going to get anywhere near replicating those kind of figures. But I don't I just don't think that's a reflection on their seasons really. I think it is, yeah, as you said, it's symptomatic of they have been hampered by the structural issues of the team, which, you know, losing Van Dyke and Gomez and Matip meant they they haven't been able to uh, to attack teams with with the knowledge that they had that security behind them. And then I also think, you know, the balance in midfield has, has, has obviously affected things as well with losing Henderson and Fabino for big chunks of the season and, and then playing out of position. And then also, of course, the front three, you know, probably apart from Salah, there, there's been issues there with, you know, certainly Firmino and Mane having some barren spells uh, a, along the way. So, um, so no, I think, you know, I think obviously Mo Salah would be head and shoulders. I think most people's pick for Liverpool player of the season, but um, I, I'd have Andy Robertson pretty close behind him. Yeah, absolutely. Just a word on Trent's goal at the very end, the, the Liverpool Football Club social media team, they do this brilliant thing where they, they show the goal from different angles, show it in slow-mo. And, and you see this freeze frame from when he's about to strike it. I mean, there's absolutely zero view of the goal for him, is there? I mean, I don't know how many players were in front of him. It shows his determination, I suppose, at that point. Just, yeah, I mean, the, the technique is just absolutely wondrous, isn't it? I think you're right. when Because well, at the time, I just thought, he'd seen a big gap there to hit and it hit it sweetly. But when you actually look it back, when you're right from that angle, that it was, it was brilliant what the, the, uh, the club Twitter account put out. You think, how on earth can he possibly score from there? But he hit it at a speed and I think at a height as well, which, you know, although it was, there was a few defenders nearby, you know, it, it arrowed past them before they could even react. And I think, I think it was the first touch as well, wasn't it? More than anything that just got it out of his feet. And, and just allowed him to to get such a, a sweet strike on it. You know, again, it, it shows the kind of freedom that those two fullbacks have when Liverpool are pushing for a goal like that. The fact that Trent popped up in that position, because you wouldn't usually expect your, your right back to be on the, the left-hand side of the penalty box deep into stoppage time. But yeah, just, you know, we haven't had much, have we, to, to get excited <laughs> about since, the, since the turn of the year. I think, as Neil Jones of Goal.com will tell you, my uh, press box etiquette went well and truly out the window when that ball hit the net because uh, I've I've been utterly sick of sat there in empty football grounds, freezing, watching Liverpool struggle. Absolutely, it's superb stuff. And, and briefly went forth. We'll talk more about that on the Red Agenda on Thursday, I'm sure. But uh, that that fight for the top four looks amazing now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Right, this is a special red agenda with James Pierce and myself, Steve Hother. So we're going to get through many questions. And as always, when you pump for them, there's uh, inevitably a focus on transfers. So we'll get through as many of these as we can. We'll start with Andy, who says that given the recent investments, uh, are we still heavily reliant on the sale of fringe players to actually finance 
incoming transfers over this summer period. So what level of transfer are we sort of looking at, James? It's certainly not, it's not as as basic as saying, you know, Liverpool need to, to sell to buy. You know, there will, from, from what I've been told, there, there will be money there for Klopp to, to invest in the squad this summer. But I think it's not going to be, you know, a, you know, a crazy amount of money invested. I think the the feedback I had from the, the Redbird investment, which, you know, of course, people look at the numbers and think, you know, what was it, 500 million invested into FSG? You know, is that suddenly going to lead to an Mbappe or a Haaland type signing and a massive war chest for Klopp? It, it was the, the, you know, that I was told, you know, it's, it's certainly not that. It's but what this investment will do is allow Liverpool to almost absorb the impact of the pandemic. So where where they probably would have needed to have actually cut back, and you know to 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 try and deal with what they now believe is in excess of about 120 million pound dip in revenues, this will allow them to operate as they normally do, which is you know there will be a a set amount of money aside that can be invested, and and then that will obviously be swelled by whatever is generated from from sales so and, and and then i think even that again that figure will also be impacted by whether liverpool have champions league football because we know that you know the whole business model at liverpool is that fsg don't take any money out of the club yet they don't plow money in either so you know the, the club has to be self sufficient so you know it, it's common sense that if you know that you're going to be banking 40 50 million pound at least from the champions league that you know that gives you more to play within in the market so that's going to be one influencing factor and and so i think sales will be interesting this summer because certainly last summer liverpool didn't generate anything like the amount that they thought they were going to you know i think back to when they were close to selling harry wilson to burnley and, and I think they were offered 12, rising to 15 million and Liverpool rejected it. You know, they, I think they wanted at least 15 absolutely guaranteed and, um, and they didn't they didn't get it. And they didn't, you know, they didn't get what they thought they might get from Marco Gruwich and ended up loaning him out. So it's, you know, I, I think there's, there seems to be a bit more of an optimism that the market will be a bet, you know, probably, I don't, I don't, it's certainly gonna, still going to be affected by the pandemic, but not on the, the same scale as last season. So, it will be interesting to see what Liverpool can generate from the sales of players like Gruwich and Harry Wilson and Shea Ojo, you know, Ben Woodburn, and of course, Carrius is still a Liverpool player. I don't, can't see that having much of an impact on the transfer kitty. But um, and then you've got other ones like obviously Shakiri. You know, what will Shakiri want to move on in pursuit of more regular game time? And and Origi is another you know really interesting one for me because I think. You know, I, I, it feels like the time has definitely come this summer to to move Origi on and and, and get an upgrade in that striking department because, um, yeah, I think I think that that is clearly an area of the squad that needs to be addressed. Quite a list you you've mentioned there. There's a couple of names that uh, a few people have been asking about outside that list. So Adam says, uh, will goal scoring midfielders be a target, and is there a possibility? The Ox and Naby Keita might be moved on. Glenn says, has the Ox been told he's surplus to requirements? Well, what about these two players? Well, certainly to my knowledge, no no one's been told at this stage that they're surplus to requirements. I think um I think I think with players like Oxlade Chamberlain and 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 Keita, I, I think they're not players that Klopp would be looking to actively move on. But I also think they're not players that Liverpool would be 
massively fighting to keep if there was a decent offer on the table that that made sense for all parties. I mean, I think you know Oxley Chamberlain has had a really disappointing season. There's no there's no getting away from that. He you know he's he's had injuries which have hampered him, but I, I think when he has been available, he hasn't done himself justice, and and his you know contribution hasn't been great. And you know similarly with Cater. You know, flashes of absolute brilliance that you think he's now arrived and then he produces a performance like he did in the first leg against Real Madrid and then you think you know how many more big chances are you going to give this guy but I think I think the thing with Cater as well is that it stands to reason that if Liverpool were going to sell him this summer you'd be suffering a massive loss I mean no one's going to be paying you know I think you'd be lucky to get back half of what they paid Leipzig, what was it, 52.75 million. And I think Klopp, when you look at his reign, he doesn't really give up on players easily, does he? I think in terms of, if I think, you know, the only real high profile one who kind of really riled him to the point where he just wanted rid of him was was Mamadou Sacco. And I, and I think if, if your attitude and your application is absolutely right, and, and he thinks that there is potential there that can still be unlocked, then Klopp will keep on working with you and, I think Cater and Oxlade Chamberlain are both in that category of player that much depends on do they want to stay and fight? Do they want to prove that they are a lot better than we've seen this season? And if they don't, I, I can't imagine Liverpool would fight too hard if there was a suitable offer on the table. But if there's not, then because I, I, I think you've also got to be wary about trying to do too much in one window because, you know, clearly Liverpool are going to need to replace Wijnaldum, who, you know, obviously with every passing week, you know the chances of him staying put become more and more remote. You know you're probably looking at having to replace Adrian, who's out of contract this summer. And then I think you know you've got the the centre back situation is is massive in terms of you know obviously as we understand it, they are really really keen to bring Kanate in. Do you then trigger your option with Kabak as well, or do you just send Kabak back to Schalke and then you know you've got the up trying to upgrade Origi so. You, you can't do everything in one window. So it's, you know, the idea that there's going to be like six or seven in and six or seven out, I don't think that stacks up. It feels like it could be a busy period. We talked about the, the fullbacks before and how much they've put in. The reality is there's no one really there to fill in. And of course, you mentioned Simicast and, and Nico Williams. Halps says, um, is Klopp going to look to buy a couple of fullbacks? Can you, can you really just keep the pressure on, on Trent and Robertson as, as they have been shouldering it? I mean, I'd I'd be amazed if Liverpool went and bought fullbacks this summer, just because of what we said just then. I just think there's bigger priorities to to address, which clearly the, the centre back situation is absolutely huge in terms of trying to get your head around exactly what you need in that department when you've got three players coming back from such serious injuries, and that's going to be a, be a real juggling act trying to work out you know, in what shape those three are going to come back and how much football can you get out of them and how quickly is it realistic they'll get back to the top level. So, no, I think, you know, if Simicus decided he's had enough, then, of course, if the offer was right, you know, I, I can't imagine that, that Liverpool would stand in his way, but there's absolutely no indication that that's the case. You know, it's he's had a really tough first season, but he's not he's not the first player under Klopp who has found it really difficult to to adjust. And I'm sure, I'm sure Klopp will think he will have a much more effective Simicus, more better place to to challenge for a place in the team next season. And then on the other flank, Nico Williams. I know, you know, I think Nico's had some unfair criticism this season, bearing in mind he's only 19 years of age. So again, you know, there's a decision to be made there in terms of 
is his development best served by staying put as Trent's deputy? Or actually, has this season shown that Nico maybe does need you know a season out on loan, playing week in, week out? So maybe the right-hand side is maybe something to think about in the market. But no, I think when you spend 12 million quid on a backup left back, I don't think you just cast him aside after after one season when, you know, even with Simicus, I just think it's been so difficult for a player to move to a new country, you know, trying to adjust whilst living in a pandemic. And he's had two bad injuries at the same time. Right, let's have a look at Trent's development. Um, there's quite a lot of questions, uh, Clyde, Zane, James, all asking, is there a case to be made for moving Trent into midfield? A couple of them have said uh, the team might be less predictable. Of course, you move him and the balance of everything that Jürgen is trying to achieve is all of a sudden tipped. It, it, you know, it, it's not quite the structure that made Liverpool such a force. I think if Klopp really did plan to to transform Alexander-Arnold into a midfielder, then I think we probably would have seen it by now. And, and as you said, I just think the whole dynamic of this team, the, the wide players are so, so important that I, I just think it renders the debate irrelevant. The, the idea that I think the, the perceived wisdom years back was that, that Trent would, that would be his progression a bit like Steven Gerrard, I guess, in terms of, you know, starting off, uh, you know, as a, as a fullback and then, you know, can't you know you put him in midfield so he can influence the game a lot more. But I, I don't see why Trent needs to be moved to influence the game because when Trent Alexander Arnold is absolute best, he can boss a game from right back, and we've seen him do it. You know, probably the the best example of that was his performance at, at Leicester um, on on Boxing Day. Just you, know, you think that obviously the season before last, and you just think. You know that that was the perfect example of of almost like why you don't need to move him. And I don't. And, and he's not and really a right back anyway, is he, James? Not, not a conventional one. No, 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 exactly. And I and I just think you put him in the middle, and then suddenly he's not in those same wide areas to deliver that unbelievable quality in into the box for the the front three. So you know, I, you know, Klopp did play him, didn't he? Once I think it was probably two seasons ago. Now played him in in centre midfield towards the end of a season and. But three, four years ago, I think that was part of the plan. But I don't get the impression that's part of the plan now because he is so important to this team exactly where he is. Mm. Another person who's, who's incredibly important is Alison. Now, Shannon asks a um, question on Alison's form because it hasn't been to the levels that we might have expected. But, that, you know, there are mitigating factors, obviously, the passing of his father, uh, the fact that the centre-halves have continually changed. But, but Shannon says, is, is it a blip? Or do you, do you think it's any bigger than that? No, no, no. He's, he's, Alisson is too good for it to be anything bigger. Um, it is just a blip. And I think he set such ridiculously high standards in his, in his first couple of years at Liverpool that, you know, I, I think we almost came to, you know, just think he'd, st- he'd stop anything. And, and you know, if anything got past him, it was, oh, you know, how's, how's that happened? And, you know, you, you think of probably the, the best of the lot, the save against Napoli, that, you know, without that, there would have been, you know, no march to Madrid and no, and no sixth European Cup. So, no, you, you can't get away from the fact that Liverpool have conceded a number of goals in recent months that you think, he should have saved that, or I would expect someone of his caliber to save. But as you said, you, you can't look at that in isolation because you have to look at that in the context of 
the defensive issues Liverpool have had. I think he's been exposed a lot more than he had been previously. You know, I think we saw what happened with Leicester, at Leicester when he came rushing out and collided with Quebec. That how important understanding and communication with your defenders is, and you know, even Quebec and Phillips having now played a number of games together, it's still it's still a new combination. They're still still learning how each other. You know, you know, trying to anticipate what each other does. So, and and as you said, I don't think you can get away from, you know, the the horrendous time he must have had personally. Which you know, I don't think you can even begin to imagine what he's been through. Um, you know, it was incredibly close to his father to lose him um, in such absolutely tragic circumstances, and then and then to be stuck on the other side of the world, not being able to to grieve and and be there with his family you know that that must be you know in, incredibly hard as well so um you know Allison will will get back to his best he's, you know you look at you look at what he's done for Liverpool so far you look at his age you know he's not, it's he, I don't even think he's reached his peak yet you know I, I no. still think he, he could be Liverpool's number one for another decade absolutely he's young isn't he as a keeper I still I think we're going to see the very best of him in the coming years uh quick one on this one on contract situations uh, Aditya says uh, Fabinho, Alisson, Van Dijk, Salah. Uh, he's been hearing some stuff recently about the extension of contracts for the for these guys. Is that very much on the t- on the table for the club at the moment? Yeah, I think I think it will definitely be something that we see get addressed this summer. You know, there's been a lot of talk about obviously Salah's contract has probably been at the at the forefront just because of so, you know some of the interviews he's given and uh, that you know have, have left no one in any doubt really that that clearly the people around Salah want a lucrative extension. But I, I, I just think with the impact of the pandemic, going back to what we said before with, you know, 120 million pound plus dip in revenues, you know, when, when you're talking about players that, um, you know, have still got, you know, up to, up to two, well, coming up to just over two years left on their deals, there was no massive rush. Uh, but I would expect, you know, now, now that Liverpool have got the, you know, the, the kind of security of knowing that, we're going to get fans back into the stadiums from, you know, hopefully, you know, back to some kind of normality from the start of next season. Commercial revenues, you know, coming back, and you can start to plan things like pre-season tours for next for next year, and you know, all that comes with getting some normality back and getting revenues back up to where they were. Uh, you know, it's it's only natural that part of that process will then be getting your best talent tied down. To longer deals, so yeah, I'd I'd be amazed if we went into next season still with you know, those names you mentioned there, without those contracts being extended. Obviously, we're hopeful of going into next season with fans in stadia. Dan says, barring any changing circumstances, will it be full capacity for the opening day? At, at the moment, there's the hope that that will happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what at the moment you know the the club are working towards. Obviously, you know, season ticket renewals. I think. Uh, are happening at the moment and um yeah just you know absolutely cannot wait for that that day to come i think there's a bit of caution obviously because we just you know i think we've been here before haven't we a couple of times when we you know no one ever thought we'd we'd still be in this position of watching games in in empty grounds over a year after the first lockdown so there is still that kind of nagging fear that there there could be another wave that that might wreck those plans but um yeah that's that's hope not because um I'm sure I'm not the only one sick of watching football in in empty stadiums I think it's been pretty grim hasn't it it's just not football and then when you throw the the ridiculous nature of VAR into the mix as well I think it's a little bit soul destroying so yeah I just can't wait back for the day when uh, when Anfield's full to the rafters again right we've just got one final word then that'll be on the Real Madrid game 
there will be no fans there. And of course, we're, we're recording this before Wednesday night. No supporters. We, we talked about it in last week's Red Agenda. It's, they're going to have to raise levels compared to what they put in against Aston Villa. They can't afford to be as sloppy in some areas of the game. Yeah, I think Liverpool are going to have to produce their best performance of the season, full stop. I just think Real Madrid won't have analysed the tape from the Villa game and, and thought, you know, <laughs> that Liverpool were, were particularly dangerous or impressive because, you know, they, they, they weren't, they were, they lost their way at times and, and looked vulnerable defensively. And I think that that's the big fear going into Wednesday night is Liverpool just can't afford to concede. I think, you know, winning the game 2-0 is certainly, you know, you know, they, they scoring two is not the concern, is it? It's keeping Real Madrid out at the other end. And then, you know, suddenly if you were to concede two, then you know, then then you're in a position there where you where you need what would you need them five? Is it is something ridiculous to because of the away goals? So yeah, they they're gonna have to be almost perfect to to get past Real Madrid. And I think it's gonna be intriguing to see what Klopp goes with selection wise and and tactically as well because I think um I think he will be wary about you know not needing to absolutely fly at them from the start not needing to try and overturn that deficit in the first half i think even when you think back to the the barcelona game you know it was it you know liverpool you know did most of the damage that night in the second half and um you know i, I think it's almost as important not to concede in that first half as it is to as it is to score and um you know klopp was criticized i think quite rightly so for you know, for the team he picked in the first leg, I think he got it wrong. We're playing Cater, but you know, I'd like to see Thiago back in that midfield on Wednesday night. I think he's a big game player, and um, yeah, when the stakes are as high as they are on Wednesday night, I think you want someone like him out there. So um, it's a big, big challenge. But I think we've we've had some incredible nights under Klopp, haven't we? And they've they've shown that sometimes even even when the stakes are against you, they, they can pull off something incredibly special. Fingers crossed, maybe another miracle. Thank you very much for all the questions. Thanks to James for, for answering some there. Uh, that was just a one-off red agenda to get through some of those. But of course, we'll be back on Thursday with hopefully, fingers crossed, a bit of positivity after that Real Madrid game. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Tell your mates about it. Red Agenda back in a few days' time. The Athletic. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, I'm Adam Hurry and Football Clichés is the podcast you never knew you needed. Every week, to quite unnecessary depth, we examine the words, the phrases, the accepted wisdom, the mannerisms, the habits, the gestures, the symbols, the sounds and the smells that everyone takes for granted in football, but which really are the glorious glue that holds it all together. For example, have you ever really listened to the Football League goals roundups? I mean, really listen to them? Because they all sound pretty much like this. Team X went into this game with just one win in their last 13 and when Team Y took the lead inside four minutes at Stadium Z, the home fans were probably starting to fear the worst. But Striker A had other ideas and this game turned on its head in the space of five minutes midway through the second half. First, a smart finish from the edge of the box brought Team X level and he repeated the trick on the hour mark to bring his tally for the season to 22. By now, Team X were in the mood, and although striker A squandered a gilt-edge chance to complete his hat-trick, on-loan Dutchman winger B made it three with a curling effort from long range. Team Y's misery was compounded in stoppage time when midfielder C's late challenge on fullback D saw them reduced to ten men. 
An afternoon to forget for Manager E's men then, but Team X will hope they have finally turned a corner under caretaker boss Manager F. Listen to Football Clichés wherever you get your podcasts and also ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic.